Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're going to go through the 18th chapter of Proverbs. I'd like one of you to just read it through very slowly and clearly, loudly, so that we can hear it again. We stopped in the previous days, including yesterday, at certain verses, as the Lord would have us to enlighten us as to the effects that He intends the different angles so that we can be skillful in our use of the word in our daily situations. And so the Lord has been making us, I trust each of us, glory be to His holy name, wiser. We've become wiser as we've been paying attention to the word of God day in and day out. Someone please read chapter 18 and we'll see if the Lord will stop us there again or we'll proceed to 19 and even maybe 20. We'll see how the Lord leads. Someone please read chapter 18 for us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, this is the New King James Version. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked, or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. He who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own esteem. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty and before honor is humility. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city and contentions are like the bars of a castle. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Praise the Lord. Praise God. We've read this chapter now for a few days. I'd like to draw attention to the verse, if, if you can read it again, Heidi. 
the verse that uh, speaks of a brother offended? Sure. Praise the Lord. Uh, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Praise God. Unity is so important to the Lord within the body of Christ that he repeats that theme over and over again in the epistles for all of us. And once again, we are called to consider what we say and the effect of it. In many Christian circles, people are so independent in their thinking apart from the Word of God that they present their personalities as an excuse for offenses. This is simply how I am, and therefore, you have to accept me as I am, even if I offend you, and I offend you repeatedly. We're told to be kindly affectionate with one another in a pure way from God's divine agape love, which considers the effect I can have on my brother or sister. We've talked about this already several times. But it begins with the words, and with the words, the tone, with the tone, the gesture, including the facial expressions. Many different things can convey what we really feel. And whereas we're not called to be overly introspective and even paranoid, we are called to pay attention to the welfare of our brother or sister. We're called to pay attention to their peace. We're called to pay attention to the harmony, the unity that God wants, the support, the care. One word, as you know from the book of James, can set a forest on fire through the use of the tongue, symbolizing our communication. How many of us have ever regretted what we've said to someone and you just can't take it back? It said that if you post something on social media, once it's posted, it's there forever. Because even if you erase it, it's already taken down, it appears by the various tech companies. It's there forever, they say. Hence the caution, be careful what you post and what you say and communicate. But there's a greater reality that is forever what we say is recorded in heaven. What a frightful thing if we are careless with our words. And there's grace from God to cover a multitude of sins and a multitude of offenses. But the wisdom of God teaches us that we ought to be perhaps more diligent in keeping a watch over whether we are building others up, especially in the body of Christ, or tearing them down. Think about this scenario. We've all been there and seen it, experienced it perhaps on the giving end and perhaps on the receiving end. But something that is offensive to us. And in our minds we're thinking, we may be maybe thinking or may have thought, how can anyone else not see that that's offensive? And we can become bitter over it. It can just completely damage the whole harmony, the unity that the Holy Spirit so wonderfully fosters amongst us. We're able to partner with the Holy Spirit, yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, and see whether we're the cause of the disharmony. And it takes diligence. It takes humility. 
to look at ourselves, if we're on the receiving end, we are not to be the second offender. That is, the one who follows up the offense of another toward us with resentment and bitterness, which can very easily take root. By the grace of God, we're able to combat that and cut it down immediately, not even allow it to grow, shoot it down, I should say, before it's planted. It takes diligence. It takes diligence, awareness. It takes us to have a heart to please the Holy Spirit. A brother that's offended is harder to be won. How can you get that relationship and fellowship back? More than the bars, it says, of a castle. How can you mend such a relationship? It takes the grace of God. It takes the wisdom of God. To be able to break that difficulty that has been introduced by someone's ignorance or willful ignorance of the desires of the Holy Spirit. Contentions are like the bars of a castle. Brother offended is harder to be won. Than a city that seems to be impregnable. It's easier to attack that city and take over that mighty city. It's easier to bend the bars of a castle. By extension we can apply it that way also. Certainly, the gates of the city are very strong, usually. In some places, can use iron and bars, not just stone. Bars of iron. It's easier to break into that city that is so fortified than to bring back a brother who's been offended. You know, the closeness of the relationship, the familiarity, not only can breed contempt, according to the world, but it's the offense in that closeness that causes the wound to be even deeper. Because the perspective is, that person should know me, having been with me, perhaps for so long. This is an observation that is true as a general principle that we ought not to take people for granted especially those close to us I believe that every one of us have been touched by the Holy Spirit so as to be able to know as we grow in the Lord when we are off the mark when we are drifting into areas of levity, unseemly levity, a casualness and a mood of looseness and not being careful and one thing quickly leads to another and a number of offenses can abound and a number of people may be involved in it unless someone listens to the voice of wisdom and says, I'm backing out of this because it's not going in the direction that the Spirit would want. These are the type of things that unchecked can destroy fellowship and relationships. First and foremost, the fellowship with the Spirit of God. Because things that are opposite to kindness, love and forbearance, are works of the flesh. We see it at the end of, we've seen it when we studied Ephesians. Ephesians.
is chapter 4, right at the end of it. These things can recur. They're like the weeds that will seek to grow again and again and again. Something came to mind early in the morning as I was considering the Word of God. It may not at all seem novel to you, or it may. The thought came that suppose we make a list of the things that we would like to get rid of from our spiritual life, from our walk with the Lord and with our brothers and sisters as much as it depends on us. And we do that from time to time and certainly the Spirit of God will bring that up. For example, someone may deal with a sense of jealousy. There's such a thing as the plague of jealousy that a person has harbored it so long and it becomes second nature that the moment someone has an outfit that appears to be better then mine, man or woman, can think there's something I resent about that. Why should that person look good or better than me or have that clothing or whatever it is? It's a very real, cursed thing that can destroy the soul. But if it's taken casually or intermittently, we are called attention to that. We don't really seek to dig it up by the roots and say, no more. No more in my life. I don't want to have that jealous look and eyes of envy. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? Even as you're looking at someone... All of a sudden, the spirit of jealousy can come upon you. It may be with words that it's expressed or hidden in the heart or visible with a facial expression. Most telling, we see it in the faces of little ones who are exposed to that and embrace such a spirit. We can carry that into adulthood. We see it very often in school, someone gets a higher grade. And that competitive nature, they call it, still may be tainted with seeds of jealousy. When someone has a home that seems to be better or bigger, when someone has a, a spouse that seems to be more amiable and understanding, than one's own spouse, or the perception of it seems to be that way. This is a proverbial grass is greener on the other side. There's a real danger, according to God's word, that if we don't uproot this thing, it could kill us spiritually. Suppose we put that down on paper or on our devices and say, Lord, this has got to go. And the more I draw near to the Lord, the more He uncovers how insidiously concealed it can be in our lives when we think that it's gone, but the stump is still there and the root is still there. Similar to immorality, which is a more blatant, heinous crime against God, against others, against our own bodies, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20. And yet we must deal with it and come to this point, and I believe this is what will make all the difference, to say to God, Lord, if I can't live free from this thing, I'd rather not live. Not as a cop-out, not as a suicide wish, wish, but as a point of commitment to say, Lord, I will live for you and this has got to go. 
I will not put up with this in my life any longer. Started. To have that vehemence, to have that violence against sin, that vehement desire against it. We may think, well, jealousy it seems to be on the other end of the spectrum of notorious sins that can have a damaging result as uh, compared with immorality in all its various forms. We see the destruction very readily. And yet jealousy can be equally damaging. The question is, Offenses will abound, the Lord Jesus said, but woe to him by whom the offense comes. We look at ourselves in the Word of God as a mirror. We see all the hope God gives, all the grace, all the love. And a person that has the right understanding and comes to God understanding his wonderful, loving nature unlike any other, his patience, unlike any other, it attracts us to him, to trust him, just as a child with a parent. When the child does not have that fear, what will my parent say? And maybe the parent will disown me and get rid of me if I say the truth about something I'm struggling with. The child that has the confidence that my mom or dad will not condone the sin, but they have love sit down and talk with me over it and not condemn me but to allow conviction to come and to seek my repentance but they will be open to talking what confidence we can have in the oriental culture especially in the eastern cultures there's a great dread on the part of children usually not always but typically to disclose certain things to their parents and hence there's a tremendous problem that brews within the child and it can manifest in a self-destructive habit or veering into areas and relationships that can be permanently irreversible and regrettable. But a child that has the confidence that no matter what it is I've done, or what has been done to me, or what I've thought, I want to tell my parents because I trust that they love me enough. Even if they don't like what they hear, they will patiently listen and help me. Even if it causes grief, they will care about me to help me. They will forgive me. How beautiful it is to know God is that way with us. He is the ultimate parent. Hallelujah. The greatest father. And so he's the one that says to us, these are the type of things such as offending a brother that can cause such damage psychologically, socially, spiritually that it's easier to attack and overtake an impregnable city than to win back a brother that's been offended. And the contention between brethren, brethren or brothers, sisters, can be so strong the bars of a castle. But what can bend those bars? What can recover the relationship? Of course, God can do the impossible. But Jesus went to certain towns and he couldn't do anything, it says. Or very little. How is that possible? When the God who can do the impossible is not able to do something in certain places, not because he doesn't have the power, but because, as we know, people are not willing to open their hearts up for him to work. They don't believe. If I believe that this matters to God, what I think and how I behave, so much so that he's actually delineated, point by point, not only those sins that seem to be very gross, in the eyes of society even, but the so-called respectable sins. 
to what extent is the root remaining? And we have to believe that the Lord is able to uproot by His Spirit, by His power, every bit of jealousy that I ever harbored till I'm completely free from that disease. Hallelujah. Because it is a hateful thing to God and destructive to the unity of the Spirit, the body of Christ. It is very unlike God, which means it's very much like the devil, who said, I will ascend unto the throne of the Most High. Why can't I? I want to take over. I want to look good. I want to be number one. There's a danger of hearing a message like this and immediately refusing it, saying that I don't have that problem. If, in fact, there's even a remnant of that problem remaining. As far as God's concerned, the work of God is a thorough work. It's a total mortification and crucifixion of the old nature. And it's up to us to desire it by believing, first of all, I can be envy-free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No longer will my eyes look with envy or my heart. And in the name of competition that is healthy, so-called, jealousy abounds and can it be covered up under the carpet of competition? But it'll be like some of these insects and pests that'll rip up that cover and be manifest. It's better to exterminate it altogether with the power of the Spirit. It's a very deadly thing that is very prevalent today in the body of Christ and in false professing Christians, of course. But among those who are genuine Christians, because we're able to commit to the Lord as our Savior and still struggle by choice with Him being Lord, therefore bring reproach to His name and misrepresent Him and invite trouble not only for ourselves but for others. The offense against the Spirit of God, against the brother or sister, something that must be taken care of. If somebody struggles with immorality, it's a very, very dangerous thing. And many of us know of that firsthand. It may have been unsought after while you're on your computer or your device having nothing to do with it, no desire whatsoever. Perhaps for some of us, it's been in our earlier years as a Christian or before that. Coming across an image or even words that conjure up an image and not having the wherewithal, or the desire to combat that, even though the conscience says it's wrong to go with the flow of the persuasion of Satan. By and by, become accustomed to it. And the destruction has begun. After many years of knowing Christ, especially after many years, it has got to be uprooted altogether if it's there in any vestige or form. Otherwise it will kill us. Some of you know, famous apologist well-known globally for many, many years, without mentioning the name, the shock of many people's Christian lives came when they discovered that the reports were actually true, that this person that seemed to be so dignified, venerable, globally, lauded as the epitome of a Noble Christian. Shocking news that the person was a full-blown adulterer. 
and sought to cover it up everywhere he traveled. It's not isolated. It's not an isolated case. We've seen things of this nature over and over again. It just so happens that this person happened to come from a culture that normally would, especially in Christian circles in that particular culture, but treated with a very scathing ostracizing from society scathing rebuke what happened the question comes up how did this happen as if it's something new doesn't matter if it's you or me or anyone if there's an equivalent to the Pope in the evangelical community wherever it is that takes first prize, man of the year or woman of the year or the century, as a noble soul and representative of Christ. If a pet cobra, baby cobra, is being secretly raised in that person's home, they try all kinds of things to prove that it's not harmful. Look, I'm getting along just fine with it. I've used this example before very famous animal trainer, world-renowned circus, was one who wowed the crowds by putting his head into the mouth of a lion. Year after year, people just admired his bravery. Some people called it folly, but then they thought, Maybe he has such control and he's so disciplined and the animal really does respect the man and it may devour other people but not him. And what happened one day, he lost his head, quite literally, in the mouth of that same beast that he thought was tamed. It's what happens with any entertainment of sin. It's nothing new. Sin is an equal opportunity destroyer we have to make sure that we have the absolute fear of God in our bones an absolute fear of the destruction that can come wholesale destruction worse than a nuclear bomb to any toying with any kind of immoral desire period And we need to hang around people. We need to hang around people, believers, who have that correct attitude of utter fear, of ever allowing even an iota of immorality into their lives, and fight against it and is disgusted with that. How about jealousy? How about vengefulness? I was at a Christian university in Virginia for the graduate studies and the professor stood there and in the course of the lecture he said uh, and he's a Christian he said I have a real problem with vengeance. I'm sitting in the classroom with all these doctoral students and among them are some people with high profiles, quite a number of them. Superintendents of school districts in Tennessee, homeland security officials, all kinds of people. And he's standing up there and saying it. And as I look around, I can virtually read their minds because it's a uh, typical thing that we see today in Christendom that people have this sympathy well at least he's honest it's true it's better to be honest than to be a hypocrite 
but that doesn't preclude the necessity of being ashamed and seeking repentance as a priority from that which is a work of the flesh. Instead of that, what happens time after time is that people have no shame in owning up to something, even in a Christian university, the largest Christian university in the world, one of the the largest private universities anywhere, secular or religious. Here he is, Christian professor in front of all these Christians stating that I have a real problem if somebody crosses me that I have to get even with them and you can see the the anger in his face the dangerous look as he says it it's important not to judge and condemn because we may have the same problem some other problem but at the same time it's very important not to condone it take it lightly and not pray for that person after we pray for ourselves whether we have that vehement violent vengeful desire from the spirit of God that lusts against the flesh and the flesh lusts against the spirit to have that kind of holy contention and anger against that work of the flesh. Holy vengeance against the spirit of carnal vengeance. Some people will smile, but they'll be murderers at heart. That's why the Spirit of God has recorded this right toward the end of the New Covenant, New Testament. Whoever hates his brother, you have it point blank stated there, is a murderer. That's it. That's how God views a Christian brother or sister who does not like another brother or sister, which means the person hates the brother or sister. Some people have an explanation that you can love somebody, you don't have to like them. We really have to examine that and see whether that can be the case in all scenarios. What does it mean not to like that person? Could it be that we have used that as a camouflage statement when there is hatred? There are ill feelings against another brother or sister. But we like to cover up and psychologize it in some of these newer statements that have flooded modern Christianity. We better come clean with God and say, Lord, I have a problem. I really don't like that brother or sister. They come across as proud. They have a problem with that. And I really don't like him or her. Could you say at that moment, Lord, even though I really don't like him or her, I do love them. If love means, in 1 Corinthians 13, to be kind and to bear no record of evil, have that forbearance, think the best of others, and prefer others before we prefer ourselves, can I really and truly say that I I do love them with the definition of agape love but I don't like them should we take that to mean that I don't like to be with them will love put up with those things and be with that person have that stronger Christian position and disposition to be able to influence that person while forgiving them. We need the Spirit of God really to do the surgery. 
to uncover some things that are there for far too long, that are the very culprits for our lack of maturity at the rate that God desires, we can always congratulate ourselves and always flock with people who are lukewarm and always look for praise from other people and be well settled and smug and complacent. Or we can go to God and say, Father, I know how much you love me. Lord, because you first loved me, I can love you. I want to have a talk with you, Lord. Here I am on my knees asking you, Father, you're my Heavenly Father, but you're my Lord God Almighty. I really want to get rid of this. Can you show me more? I can't afford to go on with jealousy in my life when it is foreign to the Spirit of God within me. And Lord, would you show me all the different various forms in which this baby cobra can be hidden, seeking to choke me and destroy me and sting me one day with a fatal blow. This uh, little cobra, as I mentioned the other day, someone posted, the death of a teenager somewhere in Indonesia or some country where the family pet was this 15-foot-long constrictor. And the child, there was a picture of the child playing with this massive snake, even at that stage, holding the head right next to his face as if it's a baby brother. It's the work of Satan. It's the work of Satan when people have an affinity with serpents and keep them as pets in the house. Let that be known. Look at the description of serpents in the Bible. What has happened to people's understanding? People know for centuries, even people who are not Christians, you don't keep these things in the home as pets. If someone is a scientist, someone is developing serums, help those who have been stung by these vipers, bitten. It's a different story altogether. To study these venomous creatures and creatures that even if they don't seem to have venom, the truth is the bite of even harmless snakes quote-unquote, have neurotoxins. And this teenager went up to play with this serpent and didn't come down. All the family looked for the teenager. He's having a great time with the serpent there upstairs. We can call the serpent any name. You can call the serpent cuddles. You can call the serpent cutie pie the cutie pie took the life of the human being made in the image of God should they be shocked should we be shocked if a great evangelical leader falls or your average Christian falls Because jealousy made that person grab a revolver one day and kill someone? Is it possible that a Christian can do that? We can choose to walk after the spirit or after the flesh. By and by, the monster of the flesh can be manifest in a full-blown scenario which shows that that monster was coddled and grown day by day. And everybody thought, what a wonderful preacher. What a wonderful brother. What great ministry you're doing. But you know what? Those who are the servants of God truly surrender to God 
those who are prophets, they will know. Oh, they will know. Because God will reveal what most people in Christendom cannot see to the ones who are close to him. Doesn't it say in the scriptures, in the book of Psalms? The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Wasn't Abraham God's friend and he said, shall I hide this? The destruction that's going to come upon these people who've been coddling sin all this time. I gave them space. Whereas someone may step up and say, well, they're not Christians, Sodom and Gomorrah, but they're Christians who play in Sodom and Gomorrah. They get slaughtered just the same. Should it be a shock? Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. I thank God that God shocked me out of my false Christianity many years ago. Even when I wanted to love God with all my heart, the excuse came in from all these preachers that I thought were truly servants of God. They're very famous. But all I got from them was a confused message. When deep within me I was longing for total victory over the flesh in its various forms. Thank God. God showed me many wolves in sheep's clothing. And I made a decision, Lord. I'd rather be thought a fool by the whole world and even the whole evangelical community. So long as I'm with you and I'm wise in your sight, I want my heart to be what you see is what you get. And I want it to be good, not bad. The offenses, as we read here in Proverbs 18, 19, can be very varied and yet one and the same namely the offense against God Almighty David said against you O Lord and you only have I done this great wickedness I sinned against you when you and I are jealous of someone else especially in the body of Christ and we think it's competition good competition or we know it's wrong when we see that as we analyze ourselves, why do I have to step up and show myself when others are seemingly in the limelight? It's a problem. It's a big problem in the sight of God. And only when we treat it as such can we destroy it with a mortal blow. The other end of the spectrum, so to speak, immorality, must be crucified once and for all and daily. When we think about vengeful attitudes, we have to diagnose ourselves with the help of God's Spirit. If ever we feel, I, I wish something would happen to that person, you know, how dare they talk to me? It may be just a thought, but it's diabolical. It's from the devil. We should come to the point to say, Lord, I don't even want one second or a millisecond of this thing, a nanosecond of such a thought. Someone says, well, we're on this side of eternity. Are you saying that we can't be introduced with these thoughts from the devil? No. But we should come to the point and desire, first of all, that we will not entertain it even for a nanosecond. Hallelujah. You have the so-called Christian gurus all over the world, particularly in the West, you can hear them on podcasts, on the radio. You can see them sell their DVDs online. Wonderful programs and seminars. Liars in the sight of God. Perverters of the truth. Who will say, oh yes, God wants us to be holy. He's a holy God. And you better get your act together. Because God's really angry at you if you try to two-time him. And, but don't worry, he loves you. He won't forsake you. Oh, how I love that verse. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Is that right? Or is there something of a context that needs to be seen with that verse? Will God forsake someone? Who forsakes wisdom, 
and holds on to sin? Absolutely. If they continue in it, there's some famous teachers for many, many years who say, well, I suppose if this guy was serving God and got baptized publicly, really had a very strong voice for God, if he fell into sin and he died in that state, he probably never was saved to begin with. So there's your solution. Everybody in the crowd that's hearing me now, you don't have to worry. If you really, really, truly know that you're born again, then you'll never end up like this. So I wouldn't really worry about it. Or, you know, he was a genuine believer. She was a genuine believer. Unfortunately, ended up losing the battle to drugs and suicide and immorality. But no worries. Once saved, always saved. And so they're in a better place. It's a deadly statement. It is killing people. Beware that you don't bring offenses before God and think you can sweep it under the carpet under the pretext of some truth that's been perverted. But not just a human being, but by the devil himself. Well, we need to decide, do I really want to be perfect like my Heavenly Father on this side of eternity, as He said for me to be? And can I make a list of the things that I still have a problem with, quote-unquote, struggle with, quote-unquote? Why don't we just say it for what it is? I'm still disobedient in this area. God help me. Why don't we just say, I'm still serving the devil in this area. Lord, forgive me. Help me to wake up. Run to you. Forsake this thing. Forsake the devil. There are many, many words, terminology, and phrases that allow people to be deceived and keep on being deceived. Whereas, perhaps, if we tell the person, who says, you know, I'm struggling with homosexuality. I love Jesus, but I'm struggling with it. To say, God loves you. He doesn't want you to be in bondage to that. I'm struggling with heterosexual immorality. God loves you. He doesn't want you to be in bondage. But know this, you will end up in hell if you continue in it. So repent. I will pray for you. I will be on my knees. I'll fast for you. Isn't that beautiful? To be able to tell the whole truth with the whole love of God. Hallelujah. Be able to tell the person, I will give you all the scriptures. And even the scriptures that are taken out of context, let me tell you what God meant when he said it. And it's no mystery. But this is how it's been perverted. These will help you wake up now. And fight with everything you have. To destroy it. Because God says you can destroy immorality. And eradicate it out of your life. Hallelujah. If not, what on earth or in heaven's name is salvation all about anyway? If I claim to be saved and rescued by Jesus... If I claim to be rescued by a fireman and still have this pyromania, this pyrophobia, or an affinity, I'm afraid of it, but I can't help it. I still like to play with matches. What kind of salvation is that? The good news is 
by the grace of God, by the anointing of God, by the Holy Spirit that's speaking through in this meeting, not only the teaching of the correct doctrine, but the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We can live in a manner that is perfectly pleasing to our Savior. We must embrace that truth and then begin to work toward it for dear life with a great passion but also with a great joy. As we heard the testimony yesterday evening that when things were going wrong in Stanley Jensky's house or the leak because of the true teaching and the anointing of God to uncover and unveil that teaching to the soul, the constant nourishment from the Holy Spirit. The parents, whereas before they may have panicked or become very upset and frustrated and even fight amongst each other, they had a supreme peace. And they were able to enlist the little ones to go to war against the enemy. Can you go to war against the enemy? As far as his paraphernalia, the physical drugs that people are so familiar with, what I call the most pervasive drug, immorality. Can you go to war against Satan, this drug lord, and put him out of commission as far as your life is concerned? Absolutely. Can you go to war against the devil and his drugs, jealousy, and say, I have nothing to do with it? You won't catch me any time with this anymore. My life is an open book. Even in my Christian experience, there have been so many doors open with false teaching. In my own disobedience, I will not rebel against God anymore. I will not harbor vengeance. I will not seek to get back at my brother, sister, or anyone in any way, shape, or form. Oh God, may your nature take over. It's a very real and present danger. If we have any sin in our lives that we have not mortified, because that's God's command to us. Put it to death. Put it to death. Don't tell me you're struggling with it and coddling it. Put it to death. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why? Why will you die? If God could ask that of Israel under the law, how much more can he ask this of a believer? And why don't we preach this to believers today? And ask them, when they say, I'm struggling with this, why do you want to die and go to hell? And yet God loves you too much. That's why he's telling you the truth. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and do what? Not go on a pity party and look for more support groups. Repent. Do whatever it takes. Turn your back on it. Put it to death. Do not fuel the fire. Make no provision for the flesh. It's your job. Hallelujah. God loves us and he will help us. We have to know this is war. We have to know that we are called to be more fierce than a Navy SEAL. Hand-to-hand -hand combat with these pirates in the middle of the ocean. They get on board on that ship. They're going for blood. Why? These pirates have kidnapped one of their citizens or two of their citizens out at sea. And having a field day, showing videos of how we're going to do this and that, here comes a Navy SEAL on board, hand-to-hand -hand combat. Before the guy can grab his rifle or whatever he has, he stabs him right in the neck. We say, oh, how gross. Pastor, really? You want to speak in these terms on a morning call? As Mike has shared, Brother Mike here in the call, and he ministers to people who toy with drugs. Think it's any prettier 
so many words, so share it. You think we should be any more fierce against this? Or less fierce? If you should end up in the coffin? Should we not deal with it drastically? And put it to death now? The sin? This attitude of complacency and excuses? Looking for support groups? So you can continue longer? And who knows when your fatal day will come? This is exactly what happens today with many Christians. Instead of saying, look, you've got to put it to death. Are you on board? God will help you. He loves you. I will help you by God's grace. The last thing we want is stand on Judgment Day. Say, Lord, I, I do have some offenses. I'm sorry. I, I have a bag of them right here. And I, I know I, I shouldn't have it, but maybe you can put me on one corner of heaven, Lord, where I can sweep the floor. You know, I, I won't be raining over cities, but it doesn't work that way. We will not get in, period. We need to know that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. No woman, no child. Without peace, peace with God, fellowship with God. And let me say the conclusion of the matter. When we jump on board with the message from God this morning, wholeheartedly, and we preach the same in love, but the whole truth, nothing but the truth, we will have the joy, the supreme joy, the unspeakable joy that I'm walking exactly in concert with my Savior. I have a confidence that God will shake the kingdom of the devil anywhere I go. Hallelujah. Not because of my own power, but because there is no offense toward God. Go about doing good and healing, setting free everyone who's held captive by the devil, who's oppressed by the devil. Glory be to God. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, for the authentic Christianity, Lord. The true word of God, I thank you. Oh, God, I thank you. That we can, Lord, get to work. Roll up our sleeves, Lord. Get to work. Make that list. What things have got to go from my life, especially as a believer, as a professor of Christianity, that I belong to Jesus. And Lord, this is my priority. Far before I do ministry, to minister to others, I've got to make sure I allow my Savior to minister to me by making that list, checking it twice, getting rid of all that's not nice before the presence of Almighty God. If God is going to present me faultless, oh Lord, let every one of us say, before the presence of His glory one day, I've got to be faultless before I ever get there. Lord, you told me I can be perfect in Matthew 5.48. You commanded me to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect while living on earth. Lord, help us to pray these things, to mean it. Make a list, oh Lord, if we haven't already, of all the offenses that have got to go. They've got to go from my life. So I can live a life worthy of the almighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, for victory today in Jesus' mighty name. I thank you, Lord, that when we have that clear conscience, we can ask you for anything, Lord, and you will do what you said. Thank you, Lord. We can become a pathway and a source of blessing, untold blessings to others, because you will truly listen to our prayers. And Lord, your desires will become our desires. Thank and praise you, Lord.
I thank you, Lord, that you have a remnant today all over the world who will live by the truth and the scriptures. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Draw people, I pray, to our church more and more who will seek the overcoming life. Draw people from all over the world, Lord, to other churches all over the world, where, Lord, your truth is being preached and is being lived, and the Spirit of God is well pleased. Thank you, Lord, for the remnant. You told Elijah, 7,000 I have, when you thought you're by yourself, and it's a minority. It may be, compared with the majority of lukewarm believers who are not headed toward heaven. You can be among the minority, the majority with God. 7,000 who have not bowed down to the imposter doctrines that have been perverted. Bow down only to the truth of God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You're doing something. You're doing something big, Lord. Great and marvelous. Great and glorious. I thank you, Lord, for preparing, preparing a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Oh, thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.